What does it mean when somebody says that you're smart? Does education actually improve your IQ? Might a growth mindset be wrong? Can we actually learn anything? Ladies and gents, my name is Brandon Stover. I'm the founder of Plato University. And today we're going to break down the difference between intelligence, knowledge, wisdom, and a growth mindset, and whether or not education can actually make you smarter. To start, we're going to discuss two seminal works in the fields of human development and learning that offer distinct perspectives on how knowledge and intelligence can evolve and adapt over a person's lifetime. And those two perspectives are going to be the research that's presented by Carol Dweck on having a growth mindset and the research that's presented from The Bell Curve, a very controversial book from the 90s written by Richard Herrnstein and Charles Murray. Let's first start with the perspective presented by Herrnstein and Murray around the idea of general intelligence. I'm going to go ahead and read out this perspective just so I can present it out clearly. So Ernstein, along with Murray, co-authored the book The Bell Curve, which was written in 1994, which argued that intelligence, as measured by IQ tests, is largely determined by genetic factors and remains relatively stable throughout a person's life. According to their theory, G, or general intelligence, is a single factor that describes an individual's underlying cognitive ability that is believed to influence performance across a wide range of cognitive tasks. It is associated with problem-solving, logical reasoning, and the ability to learn new information. So general intelligence is the measure of your ability to perform cognitive tasks related to problem-solving, logical reasoning, and gaining new information. And this ability is relatively stable over time. It's not going to change much. The IQ that you have when you're 18 is going to be relatively similar to the IQ that you have at 60. Now let's look at the other perspective, where how smart you are can change over time. This is largely presented by the work of Carol Dweck and her theory around a growth mindset. Again, I'm going to read this out just so I can present it clearly. Carol Dweck, a psychologist and researcher, developed the concept of growth mindset. Her research, which began in the 1980s and continued to gain prominence in the early 2000s, challenges the notion of fixed intelligence. According to Dweck's theory, individuals can possess either a fixed mindset or a growth mindset. A growth mindset emphasizes the belief that abilities and knowledge can be developed and improved through effort, learning, and perseverance. It focuses on the idea that individuals can develop new skills and capacities over time, regardless of their starting point. People with a growth mindset are more likely to embrace and challenges, see failures as opportunity for learning, and put in the effort to develop and refine their skills. You can see in this perspective, a person can change their abilities, they can learn and adapt over time. And during the same time as Carol Dweck doing her research, there were many other neuroscientists looking at neuroplasticity and seeing that there is actual changes that happen and occur in the brain depending on the stimulus that you're giving in your learning. So the fundamental difference between this idea of general intelligence and a growth mindset lies at the assumptions about intelligence and plasticity. Ernstein and Murray argued for a fixed general intelligence where Dweck's work emphasized the potential for growth and development. So which is it? Can we actually improve or not? There's been a lot of research done since the book written in the 90s, The Bell Curve, showing that yes, we can, in fact, improve. However, I think what's crucial here in both of these perspectives is defining what we actually mean by intelligence, what we mean by knowledge, what do we mean by skills? Because once you define the terms, I think you'll see that both perspectives are actually right. The difference is not whether we can improve or not. The difference lies in what we are improving. So let's define some terms. These are going to be very simple definitions so that both you and I can understand this and start understanding what the implications of them are. So intelligence 
much of what Hernstein and Murray were looking at is your raw processing speed of knowledge. Remember, they were looking at how well you can solve problems, how well you can intake information about a problem and spit out a solution. Next, we have knowledge. Knowledge is the summation of facts, concepts, and skills that one could learn. Things I could point to in a book and you could actually learn them. Now, in these two definitions that we've given, we already see a relationship where intelligence was the raw processing speed of knowledge. How quickly you can process all of that information, those facts, those dates, those different skill sets. Let's move on to wisdom. Wisdom is knowing when, why, and how to apply knowledge. I'm sure you've heard the difference between book smarts and street smarts. Where book smarts is knowing a lot of different things in a book. Again, all those facts and concepts. Where street smarts was applying what you know based on your experiences. Meaning that something's happening in the world and you know which pieces of knowledge to actually use. That is wisdom. And the last term we'll define here is a growth mindset. So a growth mindset is your belief in the ability to acquire knowledge and develop beyond your current state. To help understand these more, let's look at an analogy, one that's been beaten into us several times because it works so well. Let's say that your brain is a computer. Intelligence is the processor in that computer. It's a piece of hardware that doesn't change, and depending on how big that processor is, the more information that you're able to process. The faster your computer goes, the more it's able to do. Knowledge is going to be all the different computer programs, the different pieces of software that are on your computer. You're able to download different programs just as well as you're able to learn different concepts. Wisdom is knowing which program to use. When you get onto your computer, wisdom would be knowing that if I'm going to write a book, I'm not going to use the calculator program in order to do that. You're going to have a very poor time if you try to do that. And finally, a growth mindset would be the operating system, which tells you which programs you can and cannot use on your computer. Remember, a growth mindset is that belief that you can get better. So if you're telling yourself, yes, I can, in fact, get better, you're telling yourself, I can download these programs. I can use them. Now, using this analogy should better help you understand this dilemma we have between fixed intelligence and a growth mindset. We're saying intelligence is like the processor, the hardware of the computer. And that's pretty hard to change unless you open up the computer and physically change a processor inside of that computer. And just like the computer, our intelligence is based on the biology of our body, the way our brain is formed. Upgrading our brain takes a very long time. Even through the process of neuroplasticity, you're not going to be able to do it overnight. If you're trying to bump up your intelligence several IQ points, the likelihood of that happening is very small. And you would only be able to see that change over a very long period of time. Or by drastically augmenting your hardware, drastically augmenting your brain. And this is when we get into the realm of science fiction and implanting devices into our brain. So your raw processing speed is going to stay relatively stable over your lifetime. Now, growth mindset is based on your psychology, a belief, and upgrades to those can happen rapidly. This is exactly where the field of cognitive behavioral psychology comes into play. Being able to see that you have a belief that's not serving you anymore and turning that around into one that will serve you. Because the growth mindset is focused on your ability to learn and acquire skills and knowledge rather than your ability to actually process something. You can go read a book or watch a video or listen to a podcast and gain a new skill set. That's completely possible. Your speed at which you're able to do that, though, does not change. That's what these two perspectives are arguing. You are, in fact, able to adapt and change and learn. Your speed at which you do that does not change. Now, why does any of this matter? What does it mean to you? What does it mean for our education system? 
Well, this work implies that there's actually differences in intelligence between people. And if we don't actually recognize those differences, then our education is not going to be able to serve everyone. Because people that fall on the low end of the intelligence spectrum are going to be left behind. They're not going to be allowed enough time in order to actually grasp the knowledge and learn the skills. On the flip side, the people that are on the high end of intelligence are not going to be challenged enough. They're not going to be pushed to their full capabilities and to actually fully develop themselves. Both ends end up being less developed than if we actually realize that people have different intelligence levels and they're going to require different styles of education in order to educate those intelligence levels. Additionally, if you're not truthful about where you are, about your strengths and weaknesses, about how intelligent you actually are, you're never ever going to be able to develop yourself. There's a likelihood that if you need more time in order to learn and acquire something, that when you're going through the traditional education system, you're just going to think that you're dumb. When rather, if you were given the time and room that you needed in order to learn something, you would just pick it up just as well as everyone else. On the flip side, if you're not being challenged by the material that's presented to you, you're going to get bored, you're going to get distracted, you're going to want to do something else, in which case you're going to be holding yourself back. But if you're truthful about where you are, you can seek out or design education for yourself that is in line with your abilities. And this brings us to the last reason that this is so important, about what the role of education actually is. Is it to increase intelligence, to increase knowledge, to increase wisdom? What are we focused on here? We know that employers screen for intelligence and wisdom over knowledge. Listen to any employer, and more times than not, they're going to say, I would rather have somebody that learns something quickly rather than somebody that knows all the skills because skills become outdated, but the ability to learn those skills does not. What's funny about this is we've actually made it illegal for employers to use intelligence tests measuring things like IQ in order to screen for candidates. So they've had to use backhanded routes in order to try and screen for this. Using an educational degree is some sort of signal about the person's cognitive capabilities. However, education has been largely focused on filling us with knowledge, equipping us with skill sets, And as a result, we get employers saying that education is not serving its role very well about preparing a workforce, about giving them what they need, which is people that can solve problems quickly. Additionally, the current structure of education alienates people because they don't fit that standard mold or that average intelligence level, many falling out in a lower end or a higher end of the intelligence spectrum. So what are we going to do about it? How do we actually use this information? Well, I'm going to make some recommendations for you as an individual and then recommendations for those of you that are educators and how we look at the education system. Let's start with individual recommendations. And first, we're going to start with that operating system, with your mindset around learning. A growth mindset is still crucially important. The belief that you can or cannot actually learn something, that you can acquire that knowledge. It's crucially important to understand that you can, in fact, learn things, that you can, in fact, gain that knowledge and be able to use it in your life. However, I think we need to update this growth mindset Understanding what you can and cannot change so that you're focused on the right things. Understand that, yes, you can acquire knowledge, but you're not going to change your processing speed. You're not going to change your intelligence level. And by accepting this, you can work with yourself and not against yourself, getting the resources and help that you need depending on your processing speed. The second mindset that you want to look at is understanding that your value as a person is not solely determined by your level of intelligence, by your processing speed. You are valuable as a human, and you have a dozen other things to offer besides your intelligence. A video game that I used to play when I was younger is Fallout. And in Fallout, when you first create your character, you add points to all these different skill sets. You have strength, you have intelligence, you have charisma, 
agility, perception, and so on. Intelligence is only one category. You have all these other categories that make up who you are as a person. And you can add to those just as much as you can add to how knowledgeable you are. So don't weight your value as a person on your intelligence level. And of course, when we're talking about our value as a person, we're often comparing ourselves to other people, looking at how valuable they are. What I would argue here is don't compare yourself to others, but compare yourself to yourself. And this is where you're going to see that in fact, you can learn things and you can develop yourself. What you know now is dramatically more than what you knew when you were younger. Over time, you acquire more knowledge and skills. And with those knowledge and skills, you're able to do more things in the world. Yes, maybe some things took you longer to learn than other people would pick them up. And that's okay. It doesn't matter. It matters what you're doing with your life. And so now where you are in your current state today, watching this video, there's things that you want to accomplish in your life, goals you have, problems you want to solve. And you need to learn different sets of knowledge and skills in order to do that. Well, guess what? You've been doing it your entire life. You can continue to do that. Just be real with yourself about how long it'll take and then put in the work to actually do that, solve your problems and reach your goals. Now, my next set of recommendations is actually looking at your intelligence. Although we can't change how intelligent we are, what our raw processing speed is, we can make sure that it's optimized and that we're not doing things that are hurting our intelligence level. And here I'm specifically speaking about doing habits that are going to optimize your intelligence and not hurt them. Things that you may be doing that are hurting your intelligence level are things like not getting enough sleep, having a poor diet, drinking, using drugs, all the things that your mom told you not to do. And the reason that these things hurt your intelligence is because many of them are causing inflammation or hindering the processes that your brain naturally does. And when that's happening, your brain gets foggy and it's not processing things as quickly as it could. And you know this, if you've had two or three hours of sleep, how well are you going to process and do things the next day? It's very likely things are going to suck that next day. However, if you've had a full night's rest of eight hours of sleep, how much clearer are you able to think? How much quicker and how much more witty are you that next day? So no matter what your intelligence level is, we want to make sure we're doing things that allow us to use it to the most optimal ability. So have good habits around sleep, around diet, exercise, and even things like meditation. Many of these things also help with neuroplasticity, making more connections within the brain. And those connections are going to allow that raw processing power to run more efficiently. Now let's talk about when you're learning as an individual and what you should be focused on here. When you're learning, we're trying to develop our knowledge and wisdom. And no matter where your starting point is or what your intelligence capabilities might be, you want to put yourself in what's called the zone of proximal development. This was first presented in a theory by Lev Vygotsky. I hope I'm saying that last name right. And then further developed and worked by Anders Ericsson. And in the most basic sense, that zone of proximal development is pushing yourself just right outside of your comfort zone, where things are just a little more difficult than what you're capable of. This is going to allow you to learn a lot faster than if you pushed yourself really hard into something that's overwhelming and you're not learning at all, or something that's right in your comfort zone, never stretching yourself, never going beyond your current capabilities. So this means when you approach your learning, you need to understand what you know now, what you don't know, and what thing you should be focused on that's just right outside that area of things that you know. Just pushing yourself a little bit out of your comfort zone. A really easy example to understand this is if you're learning to ride a bike and you have two training wheels on. Right now, the things that you understand is knowing how to ride that bike with two training wheels. Where you're trying to go, the thing that you don't understand is how to ride the bike without training wheels. Your zone of proximal development would be taking one training wheel off 
and riding the bike with just one training wheel. As you ride, sometimes you're going to lean to the left where you have a training wheel on and you'll be okay. You'll still stay up. And sometimes you'll lean to the right where you don't have a training wheel on and you'll have to start to learn what it means to balance on that bike. It'll be a little challenging, but you can always lean back into what you know with that other side having the training wheel. This is your zone of proximal development and it applies to anything that you're learning. This is going to help you develop knowledge, those skills and concepts that you can use in your life. In order to start developing wisdom for yourself, you want to apply those skills that you're learning to actual real world problems, to goals and problems that are occurring in your own life. You're going to gain experience about when and why something should be applied and how to go about doing it. So that when a similar situation occurs in the future, you're wise about which knowledge set to use and how to use it. My last recommendation for you as an individual is to augment your intelligence. There's no doubt that artificial intelligence is more intelligent and knowledgeable than you. It can process things way faster than you can and is hooked to the internet and knows way more than you do. It's impossible for you to know everything that's on the internet or to be able to process things as quickly as a computer can do. This means that you can use it to augment your own processing speed and your own knowledge set automatically increases your intelligence and your knowledge. Now, where artificial intelligence is going to fall short is on wisdom. It's not very good at telling you when or how or why to apply something, because oftentimes those things are built on morals, on intentions, values, motivations that human beings have. And if you've used any popular artificial intelligence tool like MidJourney or ChatGBT, you know that you still have to prompt that AI. You have to give it information that is relevant, presenting and framing what the problem is before it's going to give you a solution that's actually usable. And sometimes you don't quite prompt it the right way and you have to keep prompting it. Because again, the AI has everything at its fingertips, but it doesn't know what is relevant. And to really understand why humans have a greater capability of understanding what information is relevant over what a computer does, I recommend looking at the work of John Verveke, a cognitive scientist from the University of Toronto, who has a concept called relevance realization, which talks about the human's capability of understanding what information is relevant from everything that is ever thrown at that person, all the information that you're taking in through your senses and what you know in your own mind. Now let's talk about the implications of this debate between general intelligence and a growth mindset, and can we actually develop, and what it means for education or you as an educator. I think when we approach education and creating policies or different education systems, we need to accept that differences do in fact exist, that in abilities, not everyone is equal. Equality means we have the right to education, not that we are all created equal in intelligence and should be given the same education. This means we need to stop the one size fits all mass education because it's only serving the middle under that bell curve, the average, not the ends, not the differences and spectrum of intelligence. Instead, we need to move towards personalized education, creating education and curriculum that's specific to that person, most specific to their zone of approximal development, understanding what they know, what they don't know, and how we can push them just a little outside of their comfort zone, just a little outside of what they know, so we can move them towards what they don't know. I'll give you a quick story of when I was younger and the reason that this is so important. When I was younger, I did very well in school. I had a 4.0 all the way through my educational career. However, when I was in second grade, I was given the standard curriculum just like everyone else, and I would get through my work very quickly. Whatever we were doing in class, I'd blow through it, and then I would end up sitting there, and I would get bored. So I would end up talking to the other classmates around me or kids. I want to hang out with other people. I'm not doing anything. I did my work. I'm finished. I want to chat. 
And this has ended up distracting other people. And so the teacher would also often send notes home that Brandon is doing fantastic in class, except he's always talking with other people. He's distracting other students. And sometimes this happens to other kids and they might get diagnosed with ADHD, put on medication just because they weren't being challenged enough. Their attention wasn't being held. That teacher could also labeled me a troublemaker. However, instead, what she did, wonderful Miss Nacarado, I even remember her name because it was so changing to my education, was she said that, okay, he's doing really well. He completes the work quickly. He needs something more challenging. He needs something in his zone of proximal development. So she started creating a curriculum for me with much more advanced reading that I could do when I was finished with my work. And what do you know, when I finished up my work, I would start reading some of the books that she had chosen for me and I wasn't distracting everyone else in class. And instead, I went down my educational career path just fine. Now, obviously, the hero here is Ms. Nakarado for recognizing that and going through those steps. However, I understand it's difficult to create personalized curriculum, personalized education for every single person. That's going to take a lot of time. And time is our most valuable asset and not something that we have laying around in excess. I believe this is where we can start using artificial intelligence in order to create personalized tutors, people that can do what Ms. Nakarado did for me. Benjamin Bloom, one of America's leading educational psychologists, showed that students that received one-on-one tutoring saw a two-sigma increase in their educational performance and a one-sigma increase relatively equated to going up in one grade level. So you can see that a two-sigma increase is quite a bit. However, giving every student their own personalized tutor is going to be pretty hard unless we're able to scale it and do it with technology. With artificial intelligence, it can know your strengths, your weaknesses, the sets of knowledge that you have now and the ones that you're trying to acquire, and your intelligence level. It can tell exactly how quickly you're going to process different information. And with knowing those things, it can then present to you different problem sets, different ways of thinking that are going to put you right inside of that zone of proximal development. It's going to know what things are easy to you and what is challenging, And what's going to stretch you just a little bit? And these sorts of artificial intelligent tutors are not science fiction. They're actually being developed now. An educational company that has just started using these is Khan Academy, which in the past has been a great place to help students get further tutoring for the different things that they're learning. However, they have developed an AI tutor that is using the same mastery-based learning that Khan Academy is based on and doing the things for the students that I just mentioned. I'll leave a link to that below. Right now, it's only being offered to certain schools that they're working with and people going in their programs. However, I'm sure it'll be opened up to the public soon enough. The next major change that I think we need to make is stopping the focus on time and putting it on development or moving towards mastery-based learning. See, in mastery-based learning, it doesn't matter whether it takes you two weeks or two months to learn something. What matters is that you learn the concept, you're able to apply it, and then you move on to the next concept. What this means is it respects the people's different intelligence levels. It allows the people that need more time to take that time to learn something and allows people that can process information faster to learn quickly and move on to the next concept. This means nobody's getting left behind and everybody is being challenged at their zone of proximal development and that eventually everyone is going to learn that knowledge set. Now, I understand this is also difficult because all of our current systems are set up on time. You take all of your classes within one hour, That's set up inside a certain number of weeks that make up a quarter or a semester and that make up the different years that you're supposed to be in school. However, the reality is is that some people may be better served by only having a few years of school and some people may be better served by extending the amount of time that they're in school to learn the exact same knowledge set. And my last recommendation within this video is to put a greater emphasis on wisdom, how, when, and why to apply knowledge. We know that knowledge rapidly changes. 
skill sets get outdated. Science and research and technology move things forward, and we have to learn new things. We have a greater understanding of how the world works, and we must be constantly updating that. This is why when you go in for a college degree, by the time you get to the end of it, the world has changed so much that half of the stuff that you learned during that time may not be applicable anymore, and you still step out into the workforce unprepared. But with knowledge rapidly changing, our reasons for applying that knowledge change at a much slower rate. The different instances, the problems that occur, the morals and values that we have, those change, but it's going to take a lot of time. And so if education focuses on cultivating wisdom, helping us understand when to apply knowledge and how to apply it, we're going to be better equipped to actually face the real world. And earlier I was speaking about artificial intelligence, and that artificial intelligence is far more knowledgeable than you are and can access that knowledge a lot faster. So if we understand that our students are entering into a world where they have a tool that accesses knowledge quicker, then education should de-emphasize the amount of knowledge they're teaching and greater emphasize teaching of when that knowledge should be applied, giving them the skills to discern that and the ability to do so. This is largely what a liberal education does. And I think people would understand the value of a liberal education more than we're told why it's important, how they're going to be using it in the world understanding that it's giving them the capabilities to think for themselves, pick the correct knowledge and skills to apply, and be able to actually solve problems in the world. Now, I'm not saying throw out knowledge sets entirely. It's very important that you're still learning those. However, let's stop focusing on just teaching the what, but also the why and the how. And this is why at Plato University, when we're focused on building learning programs, we want to turn your wisdom into actionable education, not just what you know, but why it's important and how it's being applied. We want to help transfer that to your students. So if this is something you're interested in, let's schedule a free strategy call with each other and I can help you develop learning programs that are focused on this. Let's build something great together.